Welcome to the podcast entitled Last Ones at the Bar. We're here to talk about all of the important affairs this week in the sport of boxing. My name is Wilton Henry, and I'm joined by Daniel Lee and Lavelle Jackson. Usually, fellas, when we start our episodes, we start off with like a little softball question. This week might be a little bit more difficult to answer, but I was thinking um, you have like the seven wonders of the world, like the Great Pyramid, um, Geyser, Hanging Gardens of Babylon, Statue of Zeus at Olympia, Temple of um, Artemis, the Messaloon um, at Holly, what is that? Um, Holly Carnassus. You got the Colossus of Rhodes, the Lighthouse of Alexandria. Now, I was thinking that we probably got an eighth wonder of, of the world. So if you can just answer this question. Why was Stephen A. Smith at them colleges? What? <laughs> was <laughs> Anybody had any idea why Stephen A. was at the high school and college? I have no idea. <laughs> I thought, you know, maybe. I do think it's up there, though. Oh yeah, oh yeah, oh yeah. But nah, we uh I'm just messing with you fellas, man. It's been a really good week in the sport of boxing, especially on Friday night. So we can go ahead and kick things off with the event that took place on the zone. You had Gilberto Zerto Ramirez taking on Sullivan Barrera. How did Zerto look to you fellas? Yeah, I was impressed with with uh, Zerto and, and props to you, Will, for putting me on him. And uh, you know, sometimes upcoming fighters, if they're not really showing that, that that name hype sometimes they can be overlooked but you know Ramirez um I, I like his style a lot you know he coming into, into this fight he was 41 and 0 with 27 knockouts um he, he kind of had a victory years ago over uh a, a, I'll say a, a, a older version of Arthur Abraham you know and, and he's really trying to, to step up and, and cement himself as a champion at light heavyweight. Um, and he's going against uh, Sullivan Barrera. And this was on f- this past Friday night, which the zone put on a, a pretty decent card, you know, w- which I think they should have more fights on Friday, you know, mix it up a little bit. So we're not just everything just dumped on Saturday. Like the last few weeks, there were a couple of weeks where it was just like all these different cars from different organizations on a Saturday, so props to the zone for doing that. But he's going against Sullivan Barrera, uh, 22 and three, 14 knockouts. Uh, he's 39 years of age, so he's up there. He had, uh, um, you know, pretty decent career. You know, he had some losses to Andre Ward and Dimitri Bivol, but he also has a win against um, Joe Smith Jr. and and probably an older version of Jeff Lacey. Um, both guys are six two, and they both have within a pretty long reach, respectable reach. I think one has 73-inch reach and the other has a 75-inch reach. Now, I I like Ramirez. He started off uh, with a jab, you know, filling out pretty much the first two rounds. But what I like like about Zerto is he's not just some simple, like, I'm going to throw a lot of punches, seek and destroy. He's actually using boxing ability. He's a southpaw. And and I can tell he has IQ because he's using this southpaw jab. But instead of, you know, throwing that right hook, you know, he, he, he's focused on that liver. So, you, you know, with your liver, he's throwing that, 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 that left hook from softball stance to the liver. So um, 
Cerdo, he, he started to open up more in the, in the third round. Um, and then in the, and then he uh, dropped Barrera with a left hook body shot from southpaw stance. Uh, and from then on, uh, you can tell Barrera, he, he wasn't the same. The power was gone from him, those body shots, even though he was trying to, to you know, to tough it out. But you can tell that that his that strength, you know, the, the body shots that takes the, the air out of you and it can really zap your your strength and even confidence. So um, the next round, um, Ramirez followed up again with another, you know, uh, again, left hook you know, body shot to that liver and, and, and took uh, Barrera down for the count. And he went down again, the referee waved it off. And I'm, I'm very impressed with Ramirez, even in this short fight that he took his time. It, this wasn't like, I'm macho, I'm gonna show him that I can take his punch and, and, and get him out of there. You know, he knew he can get him out of there, but he, he still bided his time. Let me see what Barrera got. This guy's a veteran. And when, when he was ready, he opened up a little bit, but he still was, you know, sharp with his shots. He's not reckless so and the whole time i'm thinking about this guy's gonna have a future you know as far as well um the sky's the limit from where he's, he's at you know i was uh looking at some comments on where he thinks he should go and he's saying eventually he wants to fight at heavyweight which is you know pretty ambitious but also you gotta look at i think he, he has an excellent opportunity to have some blockbuster fights in the future with even a canelo if canelo decides to to um go back up to 175 and start collecting titles, I think uh, Zuto Ramirez, that would be a huge fight. I mean, a, a very, very huge Cinco de Mayo or Mexican Independence Day uh, weekend fight. And then there's also, um, you have guys at 168 that I can, I can see moving up, like, you know, David Benavidez, you know, which, which I think that would be an awesome fight also. But then you, you can't bypass 175 without looking at what's already there, like Bivol and, and, and Bitterbee. Those are excellent fights for, for um, Cerdo Ramirez. So sky's the limit for this guy. I mean, I was impressed. I like what I saw from him. Yeah, it was a good, good, solid victory for Zerto. Um, I'm just going to tell you what I saw in those four rounds, and then I'll give, like, uh, where he goes from here. Um, so what I saw was round one seemed like it was a filling out round for both guys round two i i was trying to like gauge where barrera was because he is 39 years old and he's been in some pretty um tough fights you know what i mean especially the bibble fight andre war you know so on and so forth and he was dropping his last fight um as well and so i noticed i noticed that barrera looked a little bit slower in that second round and when i was looking at um zerto um he looks stronger at 175 pounds as opposed to 168. And um, second round, Zudo lands some nice counter uppercuts. But Zudo is one of those guys, like I said, he's a pro's pro. You can tell that he has professional skills. Like when you see him fight, it's certain things that he just do smoothly. You know, he's a nice smooth boxer. And they, it's nothing that he has to think about, you know, certain shots. Like when he was landing that shot to the body, you know, that was something he was actually um, throwing a little bit more since he knew that he hurt Barrera. But at the same time, it's not something that he overemphasized because he just waited for Barrera to be in, cert in a certain position to go ahead and get that shot off. Um, round a third round. So I had it, it was a filling out round round one. So I had a 10-10. Um, round two, I gave it to Barrera. Round three, again, Zerto was doing some nice smooth boxing. 
um, Barrera was sing, swinging. Um, he was winging some some shots, um, and some of them got through. He, he was doing okay. And then Zerto landed a nice uppercut to the body at the end of the round that dropped him. So you had to give Barrera a 10-8 round in round three. And then round four was pretty much more of the same. Um, Barrera got hit with, with that body shot. It was the late reaction. And that was pretty much all she wrote. Um, what I saw out of this, obviously Barrera um, has seen better days. And it reminded me. So when I saw him um, enter into the ring, he still looks like solid, a big solid guy. But you can tell he's not physically the same as he was when you saw him fight against people like Andre Ward a couple years back. And again, that just comes with age. That comes with the wear and tear on the body and, and all of the pounding that he's taken, you know, over his career. And it reminds, I remember a guy was telling me, you know, I'm a big um, Packer fan being from Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Remember, I came back home one time and I went to see the Green Bay Packers play. This was a while ago. Obviously, Brett Favre was still a part of the team. And um, he was, I went there with a few guys. And I remember one of my friends, he was like, man, um, Brett might have to retire soon. He don't even look right in his uniform anymore. You know what I mean? But Brett Favre was still Brett Favre. He still was a gunslinger. He still had the powerful arm. And eventually he led Minnesota to the NFC championship game. So he still was in good, you know, enough shape in order to be able to be Brett Favre. But Sullivan Barrera is slightly not Sullivan Barrera anymore. He, his punch resistance isn't there and he's a little bit timid now than he was before. But um, so he really, you didn't get the Sullivan Barrera that we all know, you know, him being at the top of his game. So I don't want to over you know, glorified his victory for Zerto, but it was a good solid victory, you know, although it was a guy who's past his prime. As far as Zerto's concerned, he looks very solid and comfortable at 175. Um, he has some quality fighters that he can face. I know he wants Bivol next. That seems like the person that he, he's targeting. And somebody asked him, even though he's like 30 years old, they said, um, do you think you're ready for it? That's crazy to ask somebody who's a former champion. Um, but he was saying, is Bibble actually ready for me? So I like that. seems like that's the person he's targeting. I think that that is a close fight. I would slightly favor Bibble. Um, but Zerto is going to be, you know, difficult for anybody, you know, to defeat, including um, the other top gun over there, uh, Better Beef. Now, against other guys, I, I would favor um, Zerto over guys like Badu Jack, Elador, Alvarez, Marcus Brown. And um, Lyndon Arthur, who also got a victory yesterday. But, you know, this solid win, and I can't wait to see Zerto in the future. Yeah, you guys covered it pretty good. Um, I also had it 29-27 uh, Ramirez at the time of the stoppage. Um, I did think that Barrera came on strong and, and looked good in some spots. Um, I remember earlier in the – Second round, I believe he he landed several hook shots. Um, you know, like you said, well, some of them, some of him went through, and um, he also had some strong points in, in the third round. But like you said, he just didn't look the same, and it comes with being that age, you know. But you know, once Zerto caught him with that body shot, um, it just wasn't the same after that. And and then in that fourth round, um, he got the two knockdowns off the strength of of those body shots. And, um, you know, he did what he had to do. 
And I, I thought he looked very patient. I, I, I thought he looked comfortable. Uh, like you said, he's a pro's pro. And uh, he just took what came to him. And uh, he, he, he did a good job of picking his spots. Uh, going back to the, you know, him calling out Bivol. Uh, it is a fight that I would like to see. I would favor Bivol, but you know, I was looking at the the rankings by the by the boxing commissions, and um, the, his highest rank right now is with the WBO, where he's third behind Linda Arthur and Umar Salamov, and that is actually Joseph Junior's belt, and so uh, he's ranked fifth in the IBF, um, which is uh, the belt that Better BF has. And um, he's not ranked in the WBC or the WBA. That can obviously change pretty quickly, but uh, and it probably will change pretty quickly after this fight. But um, I think that realistically, moving forward, he's probably got to face fight in some kind of title eliminator uh, with one of these commissions. More than likely, WBO first before he gets a shot. And so there may be a scenario where you know he fights like a Lyndon Arthur. And they fight, and the winner fights Joe Smith Jr. And then that winner maybe fights one of the champions to unify, unless one of those other champions get to Joe Smith Jr. first. But, um, but back to the, the fight at hand, uh, I thought it was a good fight, a very good showcase fight for him, showcase fight for him with a step up in competition at light heavyweight. He looked good. So on the fight leading up to that fight on that card, uh, Javier Fortuna fought Jojo Diaz, and this was for uh, an interim belt. How did you guys see that? How did you how did you score that one? All right, so this fight you had Joseph Jojo Diaz, who's has a record or had a record of thirty one 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 with fifteen KOs entering to the fight, and you had Javier Fortuna who was 36-2-1 with 25 KOs entering into this fight. Um, Diaz last fought uh, off in February for his IBF 130-pound championship, but he um, lost the fight even before it started. He lost his belt even before it started um, because he couldn't make weight. That's the reason why he moved up in this fight. That fight was a draw. Um, Javier Fortuna was coming off of a pretty impressive victory against a tall fighter. And Fortuna was also about to face Ryan Garcia leading into this fight, but Ryan Garcia pulled out of the fight due to some anxiety issues that he had. So that led to these guys fighting, like you said, Danny, for the WBC interim championship. Now, as far as the fight is concerned, um, round one, what I saw on Diaz, I gave, well, actually I had round one 10-10 because I thought it was a pretty much of a filling out round, although Diaz landed a few chopping right hands and Fortuna landed some solid shots as well. But I had a 10-10 first round. Second round, um, I actually gave that to Javier Fortuna because he was doing a good job of boxing outside. What Fortuna typically does against taller fighters, he actually is more aggressive against taller fighters and he tends to try to outbox smaller fighters. I didn't know that he was going to try that tactic going into this fight because I was thinking that he was under the impression that Diaz wouldn't be able to hurt him and Diaz probably wouldn't be able to take his shot. So I thought he'd be more aggressive in this fight, but he wasn't, especially the first four or five rounds. Um, third round, I gave it to Diaz. Diaz stepped it up by landing some chopping lefts and 
actually by the third round, I can tell that he kind of looked stronger than Fortuna in this fight. And that pretty much, that kind of surprised me. But as I think about it, guys like Diaz, um, you got guys like um, Miguel Cotto and other guys, Canelo. Sometimes when you give those guys an opportunity when they can eat a little bit more, they're not draining themselves. They like little tanks, little pit bulls. So if you give them that opportunity, they'll actually, they actually are physically stronger um, if they move up in weight. And that's what I noticed in this fight with um, Jojo Diaz. Round four, it, I thought Diaz won that round, but they ended up deducting a point from him because of rabbit punches. And so I had a 9-9 nine, nine for round four. Round five, I have Fortuna winning that round because I thought that um, – he was doing he started to do what he typically does as far as that awkward unique type of style where he was winging some shots but he was doing doing that also um as he boxed from the outside as well but he he mixed it up a little bit more in the fifth round so i gave him round number five round six both guys had their moments but i thought diaz uh, carried the action and i slightly thought he was more effective so 10-9 round six for diaz round seven similar action just for tuna his um, punch output dropped a lot more. So I thought that was a little bit more clear round for Diaz. So I gave him that round, round eight. Uh, Fortuna got the better action to me in round eight. So I had it 10-9 for Javier Fortuna. Round nine, gave it to Diaz. Seemed like that was a clear round for D Diaz. He was landing some really good body shots throughout the course of that round. Round 10, I had it also for Diaz. He landed the cleaner shots. He punctuated it with a nice flurry towards the end. And then round 11, I gave that also to Diaz. And then round 12, it could have went either way. Maybe it was a sympathy round for Javier Fortuna. But in the end, you know, I th it, the way I, I'm reading this off to you, it seemed like it would be a lot um, more of a spread victory for Javier Fortuna. But I actually had it 114, 113 for um, Diaz. Now, with that being said, that's just scoring a fight just based on what I saw. Sometimes you have to factor other things in. I didn't think that if a fight was that close that Fortuna was going to get it. It wasn't any way possible he was going to win that fight. Sometimes when you have fights against somebody on their own platform, you have to be a little bit more aggressive than what Fortuna was showing me. For instance, I'm going to give you an example. Like, people say... Irizlandi Lara beat um, Canelo Alvarez. Now, if you just scored a fight, perhaps he did win, or maybe it was a draw. But sometimes you have to factor things in that you have to be a little bit more aggressive. You have to make the victory more definitive. And so I didn't think Fortuna did nearly enough to make sure that he had you know, secured the victory or put himself in a position to win. I'm always of the belief that when, you, when you're doing something, you have to make it without a shadow of a doubt that, you know, you are the one who should have your hand raised. Now, I didn't see anybody who made a big deal about the fight as far as it being, it should have been close or anything like that. But I do think that Diaz won the fight and I'd like to see where he goes moving forward. Now, there's some um, fighters out there. He's always going to be tough because Diaz is one of those guys who has a good amateur um, background. 
and with his amateur background, he just knows certain nuances of the game that other people may not, other fighters may not have who, don't, who do not have that experience. And I think that played a factor in this fight against Fortuna. Fortuna is probably the more naturally gifted fighter, but he doesn't have the nuance piece master like Diaz. So again, it was a good victory for him. And I always also want to say this, and I know I'm getting a little bit long-winded, but I was impressed with Diaz from the standpoint of be willing to take on such a challenge. A lot of those guys at 135, they don't want to face Javier Fortuna. They're a little, they did, you know, they're reluctant on taking on that challenge, and he wasn't. So I was happy for him moving forward. He's going to be tough for a Haney. He's going to be tough for Ryan Garcia. He's going to be tough for Tiafimo Lopez. I just don't think he has enough pop in his punches to actually defeat those guys. But I'm going to root for him just based on the fact that he's willing to take on challenges. Yeah, I thought it was a good fight. I thought it was a good showcase fight for Jojo Diaz at 135 and, and props to Fortuna for, for taking the fight. Um, I consider Diaz to be one of those guys that's uh, a pro's pro as well. Um, you know, they kind of advocated for him in terms of him missing weight that last fight and, um, you know, with his, his wife being pregnant and him kind of like his diet being affected by you know, her diet at the time. And so, you know, I, I, I prefer to look at that as kind of like a, an anomaly, an outlier uh, to his otherwise uh, pretty solid career, you know? And so um, I had scored it uh, kind of close to you at most rounds, Will. Um, I had it, well, overall I had it uh, 116, 111 DS and um that first round could have been, like you said, a 10-10 round. I gave it to Fortuna. He was just a little bit more, a little bit more busy, but it was like literally by a hair. Just kind of like a I had to pick one. Uh, round two, I gave it to Fortuna. Round three, I gave it to Diaz. Round four, I had it nine-nine. Um, I, I thought also thought he outboxed him. Um, but he had that point deducted for the rabbit punches. I think they said during that broadcast that. Um, because of the California rules, I don't, I'm not sure they do nine, nine rounds. So I think the judges would have had to make that a 10, eight round by default. If I recall correctly, uh, round five, I gave it for tuna round six through pretty much the rest of it. I gave it to Diaz, um, that round 12 could have, you could have given it to anyone, but, um, but I gave Diaz the edge there. And so, uh, you know, again, I thought it was a good fight. I thought that. Uh, Diaz looked very good at 135. I thought his power carried up. Uh, he's never had knockout power, even at those lower weight classes, but he's always had enough to demand respect. And, you know, he's just a really good fighter. I thought uh, physically he just looked strong, stronger and that uh, it was a more comfortable weight for him at this point in his career. And I also think that, you know, sometimes you your body decides that you're done with the weight class, but then you're kind of at a disadvantage because you move up and you, you kind of really don't – it's not advantageous for you to move up, but your body forces you to. But I think Diaz is good in the sense that um, he can't compete with some of those top guys at that weight class. It's just a matter of who's going to actually fight him. And so um, – but I do put him right up there with uh, maybe a notch below uh, the elites at that weight class, but I do think it will be a good, uh, some good some good fights. The win is going to set him up, you said as well, but it's going to set him up for either a full title shot versus Haney or interim title defense versus the guy that he filled in for, Ryan Garcia. 
I think Handy's the most likely, likely scenario. I do. I think once Garcia uh, gets another fight made, he's probably gonna want a lighter touch than Diaz. And so, uh, and so, yeah, I, I think the more likely scenario, especially because Haney is kind of being avoided at this point, is that he's gonna fight Haney for the full belt, uh, which I'm personally in favor of. I think it'd be a good a good test for both of those guys. Yeah, y'all both made some great points. Uh, yeah, I, li- I like Jojo Diaz and what I see from him. Uh, and to your point, Danny, I think that's correct. I think he going forward, he probably is the most likely to fight Devin Haney. You know, I, I don't think he's the type of fighter. He has that pride to him that he's not afraid of anyone. You know, he 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 will take those tough fights earlier. And we saw this even with uh, Gary Russell. He didn't have to take that fight with Gary Russell at featherweight. And actually that, you know, Gary Russell's win over him makes him looks pretty good. Actually, it makes uh, Russell looks good, look good. And Diaz was even giving uh, Gary Russell a run for his money. And this was at featherweight, which, you know, seeing how 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 it's played out in the last few years that Diaz probably was having some severe weight issues, you know, that was zapping his, you know, energy. And um, Gary Russell was happy to outwork him. But I remember that fight being, you know, a lot of punches being thrown. And, and and Russell probably was throwing a lot of jabs in that fight, from what I remember, from what I recall. Um, and of course, uh, he's Diaz is one of those fighters who Russell always give props to. So talking about this fight, you know, it was it was a pretty um, even going in. I, I kind of favored Diaz slightly, and it's kind of how this fight went. You know, as y'all guys stated, Diaz doesn't have this knockout punch power but he has enough pop to keep guys off him of him and that pop has moved up to 135 where he was keeping Fortuna off of him you know Fortuna wasn't just walking through him or or uh he wasn't trying to get aggressive you know so I think the first half of this fight I didn't necessarily score this fight but I think the first half was very very close and I think Diaz kind of was edging it the second half um from a numerical standpoint, I can see how that this fight could be very, very close. When you look at singular rounds, I think Diaz is doing better work as far as uh, stopping Javier Fortuna in his tracks. And I think that's, um, and I can see that having a, a carryover over effect where judges was given, you know, Diaz the benefit of the doubt in, the round, in a lot of rounds in the second half of the fight. Uh, and Javier Fortuna was doing good. You know, he was right there with, Jojo Diaz. It wasn't like Diaz just wanted going away. This was a very, very, very close fight. But I like what I see from from Jojo Diaz. You know, he's the type of fighter, as y'all say, he's a pro's pro. Um, he's not afraid to fight anyone. I mean, if, if any of these promotional things didn't exist, I think Jojo Diaz is probably most likely to fight. You know, Tank. Haney and uh, uh, Garcia, he'll fight all of them, you know, and Lopez and Loma. He, I, if, he, if he had the opportunity, he would fight all of them, I believe. So props to, to uh, Jojo Diaz. Uh, any of you guys have any other thoughts on this fight? Yeah, I, I got a couple things. Uh, one is, uh, first, I wouldn't, like, and I know you weren't trying to diminish Russell's victory over Diaz, but I wouldn't necessarily like throw that out there as far as him having um, possibly having weight issues against Russell because he really up until that point he hadn't shown that 
um, maybe afterwards when he was trying to win the other belt and he came in overweight, possibly. But he never really showed that leading up to that fight. So I wouldn't diminish that. I just think that he lost to the better uh, fighter um, on that particular night. The other thing about um, Diaz is, is, see, that's the good thing. That's why I said that's why I root for him is because of you can listen to him and you know that he's he's more of a guy like a throwback of one of the people who wants he's more concerned with his legacy and competition and as opposed to just attempting to fight somebody for the money you know what i mean looking for a name as opposed to um, cementing cementing his legacy and so that's why i like about him but on a flip side of that i think that some of those other guys he has certain limitations. He's very good. That amateur pedigree does him well. Like I said, he knows the nuances of the game. He's hungry, tough, you know, all of those things. But it's just a certain gear that he can get to that I think other guys can get to a higher gear and they'll be willing to face him, you know, as opposed to some of these other guys um, because they'll have certain advantages over him that he doesn't have. And namely, it's the pop on um, – their punches with the exception of Haney. I just think Haney is just a better overall, more talented guy. And that'll show um, once they fight each other, if they fight each other, easy fight to make. They both on the zone. So hopefully that happens and as well as Ryan Garcia. I just think Ryan Garcia is so tall and he has that, that, you know, dynamite in his punches. You know, if he does, if he's unable to land those shots against um, Diaz, then it could be, trouble for him but I think at some point he carries his power late and I think that he would demolish him um, at some point in a fight but I think it's a competitive fight but at the same time um, I think Ryan would be the favorite now last thing I'm gonna say is again I root for him because he's one of those guys who's a throwback that wants the competition so you can you always root for guys who have that temperament yeah shout out to Joe Diaz so move right along uh, this Saturday, upcoming Saturday, we get we have history in the making at like middleweight at 154 pounds. Uh, there'll be a unified, probably the first light middleweight uh, unified champion in the four belt era, era which is uh, WBA, WBC, WBO, and the IBF, all four belts. Um, and we have Jermail Charlo against Brian Castaño. So uh, how do you guys see this fight going? So we have Jamel Charlo, um, one of the twins, 34 and 1, 18 knockouts. He's 5 foot 11 with a 73 inch reach. He last beat uh, Jason Rosario in September 2020 with an eighth round stoppage. Uh, Brian Castaño is 17 and 0 with 12 knockouts, 5 7, 67 inch reach. He last beat Patrick Teixeira in February of this year uh, by unanimous decision to set him up for this fight. I think this is going to be an exciting fight. Um, I am, so I believe all three of us have Charlo in our top 10 pound for pound, um, based on us casually talking about it a few weeks ago. And um, I think that he's deserving of that. But I, I also think that Castaño is going to make this interesting because he's just such an aggressive fighter and he's just a busy fighter. Um, I do think Charlo has uh, sort of like the, the better pedigree, of course, 
Um, so he has a lot of experience, um, you know, has double the fights. And I think he's going to use that experience. I think he's going to use his range. And he should win this fight, but his challenge is going to be uh, establishing that power and staying busy enough to keep Castaño off of him because um, he just has a lot of activity. And so uh, I think he's going to pose a, a threat, he being Castaño, he's going to pose a threat in that, in that way. Uh, but I think it'll be a good fight. I, I do give Charles the edge here, though. Yeah, that was a great breakdown, uh, Danny. Uh, I think this is going to be a, a great fight also. Um, Jamel Charlo, I, um, Jamel, is, in my opinion, he's really stepped it up as far as sitting down on his punches and trying to not take it to the scorecards and, and stop guys. You know, he has a chin. He, he can be mean. Because uh, I remember there was a time when Jamal was looked at as the puncher, but Jamel has really, you know, showed that, you know, he can crack. I mean, and, and it's... He has more power than his, I think his record would, I mean, his uh, knockout number would indicate, you know, which is almost close to, you know, a 50% knockout rate. Um, but going against Brian Castaño, uh, Castaño, it's interesting because he's a smaller fighter, but he, he uses, uses it to his advantage. Um, he's a volume puncher. He, he likes to duck down low. You know, he, he, he fights in a high guard, sort of. Um, and he throws a lot of punches, has high activity, but uh, also on top of that, he has a, a awesome uh, amateur pedigree where, you know, he has, you know, victories over Sergei Demirjinko uh, and also has a victory over Errol Spence uh, in the amateurs. So it's not like he's just, uh, you know, a volume, I just throw punches guy. He has, you know, some boxing IQ. Um, and on even that, he uses... He, he uh, slip punches as he comes in. But I, I do think at, at some point, Jamel is going to, you know, it's going to hit him with some power. And I think the, the, the question mark will be is, is how good is Brian Castaño's chin? And if Castaño can take Charlo's punches, I think Charlo could, could be in trouble, you know, because uh, even though Jamel Charlo, he, he's mean, he can end fights. I do think that it's not like, lost on winning rounds against Jamel Charlo. Uh, he has a, uh, he likes to think his shots through and he, he's pretty much an athletic fighter who steps on his shots. He doesn't necessarily throws a lot of punches. Um, even, even in the, uh, I, I, especially the, in the second uh, Tony Harrison fight, which he won, Tony Harrison was, was pretty much outworking him in some, in some spots, which I, I thought was, even though it was to Harrison's detriment because he doesn't necessarily have, uh, uh, he didn't have the, 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 he didn't have the durability to stand up to Charlo. Had he had, he would have beaten Charlo uh, if he would have made it. So I think if Brian Castaño could take Charlo's shots, it'll be interesting to fight. But I also think that Jamel Charlo is in the zone and I think that I would have him edging this fight. I'm not sure if he's going to stop Brian, Cast Brian Castaño, but I think the second fight is going to be interesting once uh, Charlo steps it up. But I do think the interesting thing will be if Brian Castaño starts to go to the body. I think he, he can't neglect the body in Jamel Charlo. And up to this point, um, I haven't seen where Castaño is like this over-the-top like body puncher, but I think it would serve him right if he... Uh, go to Charlo's body and to try to try to zap his energy some more and win rounds against him. But I do think Charlo is going to uh, win this fight 
uh, in the second half, and he's going to come away to the Unified Champion 154 on Saturday. Yeah, I'm looking forward to this one as well. Um, Charlo, like you say, fellas, at the pro level, he has definitely has um, more experience with the victories over Rosario, Tony Harrison, the one-punch KO of Erickson Lubin, victory over Austin Trout, Bonds Matarosa. And as I mentioned before, I like him because he has that, that meanness. Not, I call it a Terry Norris meanness um, that he has. Uh, once he gets a guy in trouble, he's not trying to let you off the hook. He's always punching with mean intentions. Um, one thing I, I, I say as well about both Charlo um, brothers is I don't see the special effects in them, but everything else is, you know, they're solid in pretty much every aspect of the game. You know, boxing, power, um, good chin, tough as nails, you know, chip on their shoulders. Um, so I, I like that those qualities about him. And then obviously, man, the brother wants smoke with everybody. I think even one time he was um, willing to fight his brother over some stuff that he said. So, you know, he's definitely somebody that you root for as well, because again, with those attributes, anybody that's in this sport that wants to take on the toughest uh, level fighters, you know, you got to root for those guys. And so Jamel is somebody that I root for. Castanio, um, his notable uh, fight at the pro level to me was against Iris Landy Lara in which he drew. Um, some people believe that he beat Iris Landy Lara. I did not. I thought it could have been a draw, which it was, or um, I slightly would have given the nod to um, the dream uh, Lara. And like you say, Danny last fought against Patrick Teixeira to win that WBO strap. And Here's the thing about him, you know, he's another guy with that amateur pedigree. And so you have to factor those things into, you know, you have to take those things into consideration. And not only you mentioned it, Bill, that he beat Spence in the amateurs, but he also scored a few standing eight counts against Spence in his victory over um, him in the amateurs. It was on YouTube a couple of years back, but they, they took that down. Um, he's, got that strong amateur background, fights very aggressively. He does a nice job of transitioning from offense to defense. And he's a fluid puncher. And, you know, he's not going to come to lay down against, against Charlo, you know. And, you know, we talk about Charlo's power, but actually Castaño has a higher uh, KO ratio than Charlo. But lately, in the past few years, and I think it's when he got with um, Spencer's trainer, he's been fighting against Spence. He's um, tied up a few things or, or um, worked on a few things, more so just sitting down on his punches a lot more now, where he's getting more KOs um, in his fights. Um, great boxer puncher, you know, not necessarily slick, but he's, like you said, Bill, very athletic and hard hitting at 154 pounds. This fight is going to be tough to call. I got it 55 45 in the favor of Charlo. But based on Castaño's um, amateur experience, and like I say, when I talk about that amateur experience, for a lot of guys, sometimes people, they, in the amateurs, they perfect their fundamentals in the amateurs, or they end up just perfecting their, their unique style. Like Loma. Loma has a whole bunch of amateur experience, and you wouldn't necessarily say he's a textbook fighter, but the way he fights, he perfected that style in the amateurs and so he's almost like with the exception of fighting bigger guys you know sometimes that he's kind of unbeatable with that style 
And so you always have to take those things into consideration. Like Lewis Arias, he's not on a level of a Loma, but he had that amateur pedigree. And so when he fought in his last fight against somebody who didn't have that amateur pedigree, sometimes it shows, right? Oscar Valdez, when he fought against Burchell, you know what I mean? Burchell thought that he was just a better pro, but Oscar Valdez felt like, man, you wasn't better than me in the amateurs. And I learned all those things in the amateurs. And I'm going to show you when we fight against each other. So that part right there is going to just make it competitive within itself, because I believe Castaño perfected that aggressive style that he has in the amateurs. And he improved on it up until this point going into this fight. So it's going to be interesting to me. The likely scenario is that even before I get to that, when I look at Castaño, these are the things that have me favoring uh, Charlo is because Castaño, he did well against Laura and that pressure started to get the Laura throughout the course of that fight. But at certain points, Laura was tagging him with shots. Now, Laura is a left-hander. Laura is a, you know, excellent, one of the best boxers, you know, in a game. So that, you know, I don't think Charlo, obviously they don't fight the same. They don't fight at the same stand. So it's going to be, you know, different, you know, fighting an orthodox fighter as opposed to a lefty. But he was tagging him. And, but he was able to take Laura's shots. He has to not, he's going to get hit. He just can't get hit flush. And he just can't get hit flush on a consistent basis because I don't think you can take Charlo's shots at 154. I don't care who you are, you know, um, on a consistent basis. So that's one thing. And Jamel is getting better with each defense. Every time I see him, he's getting slightly better. And Castaño gets stronger as the fight progresses. The longer it goes, the better it is for Castaño. But also you have to factor in that Charlo keeps his power throughout the course of, his, of a fight. He has several um, knockouts late in fights. Like the Jackson fight comes to mind. The Harrison fight comes to mind. So he keeps that power, you know, late in fights. So no matter what is going on, even if Castaño was up, he's still always going to be dangerous. Now, I just think that at some point, and Charlo does a really, really good job, he hits you with shots that you don't see sometimes because he is powerful from weird angles like he did against Lubin. Like that shot that he hit him with, that's not something that everybody can throw or people can throw it, but have power to be able to knock you out cold like that. So that's going to be interesting as well. And Castaño has to be leery of that. But the main thing he's going to have to be leery of is down the middle. If you get a chance, check out Charlo's um, like highlights. Typically, when he knocks guys down or knock, knocks guys out, it's like right down the middle. He'll catch you. Boom. He just has a radar on that right hand. And I just think, again, I have a 55-45 because I can see Castaño. Castaño, you know who he reminds me of? He reminds me of a combination of Benny Pazienza and my man that used to fight out of New Mexico, Johnny Tapia. Like they have that same type of movement where he don't have his hands up sometimes. You're like, why do you just don't hit this guy? But he just, again, he perfected that, that angle of you not being able to throw. And he's so aggressive. He's putting so much pressure on you that pressure bust pipes. So you can't really catch him when you want to. And you kind of worried about those body shots coming and him swarming on you. So it's going to be an interesting fight. Neither guy has faced a, another fighter like the guy that they're going to be facing next Saturday. So it's going to be interesting. I have a 55, 45 in favor of Charlo, but you know, who knows? We shall see, but I'm looking forward to it. I can't wait for this.
Anything else you guys have about this um, intriguing matchup that we got on July 17th, one day after my birthday? No, sir, but noted, though. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, sir. Yeah. I thought I'd throw that in there. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> also, um, I thought, Vail, you wanted to talk about the postponement of the uh, Tyson Fury versus the uh, Bronze Bomber um, that was supposed to happen on July 24th. Um, what do you think about the postponement? So, of course, that's come that. Uh, the third fight between Tyson Fury and Deontay Wilder has been postponed uh, because uh, Tyson Fury and some of the members of this camp has tested positive for COVID-19. Now, they haven't set an actual date that the fight will happen now. It was originally set for July 24th, which is uh, in about two weeks from now. But I, there are reports that the fight may happen uh, in September. Um, when I first heard about it, I'm not, I wasn't sure what to, to, to think about it because, you know, there's always a, a question of our fighters using the COVID uh, thing as a way out. Because as you know, this, this fight was uh, brought about by in the, the court system. And there were questions about even though Fury was training for uh, Anthony Joshua, there were always there were still questions of, you know, when fighters have to change you know, their whole tactics and camps that can throw a fighter off. So there's always a question of, let me find something I can postpone this fight. Not accusing Tyson Fury of doing this, just throwing it out there that this is a possibility. So there's been reports that he, you know, him and his, some members of his camp tested positive for, for COVID-19. Um, I wish, you know, him a speedy recovery and I hope he can get back in the gym and, 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 uh, the fight can happen, you know, because this is a sign fight. It's going to happen. It should happen. And then we'll see. Any other thoughts, guys? Yeah, I'll just share it quickly. If, if you're, if you happen to be a professional fighter and you're listening to this, please get both shots. Or, or you know, in general, please do what you have to do to ensure the safety of yourself and your team. You know, like, it's good as a fan, it's good to see, you know, crowds starting to come and, you know, fill up arenas again. But we're still in a pandemic and you still got to do what you got to do. Like protect yourself at all times doesn't just refer to those 12 rounds or so that you're in the ring. You know what I mean? Like between this one and the, you know, and, and the Lopez news, it's just kind of unfortunate, um, you know, that fighters aren't protecting themselves to the maximum extent. Um, and, you know, for me as a fan, I was more so a fan of seeing the, you know, the, the Fury and the AJ fight. And so for me, I'm more so disappointed that, you know, assuming that that fight we may potentially in the future, that death delayed than I am about this one. So it's kind of like a, he's kind of shooting stuff in the foot with this one. Yeah, I definitely agree with that part. I, I think sometimes you have to be a champion outside the ring, just in it. Now, Tyson Fury is a, is a phenomenal fighter inside the ring. He's like magic sometimes. But outside the ring, you have to be dedicated. That's part of being of greatness. And, and I've had this conversation with someone uh, regarding other sports, you know, I'm not gonna get too far to that, but greatness is a state of mind, you know, to, to be great is not just what you do in your profession. Sometimes you do when you, you know, in your, in your off time, when you're, when you're not fighting, what are you doing? Like when you look at guys like, like we just talked about one, Jamel Charlo, as much as you, we can criticize, either Charlo brothers, one thing you can't deny, them, them dudes train hard, even when they're not 
you know, a fight's not announced. They're, you know, you, you see them out there being active, riding their bikes and, and getting down and wait. You know, they're not they're not just being sloppy with it. You're not blowing up between fights. Um, and we see we know that, yeah, Tyson Fury is a heavyweight. And of course, there is no limit. But at the same time, you still want to be uh, you don't want to treat um, training camp like as is a weight loss camp. You know what I'm saying? So greatness is a state of mind it is also what you do when you're not fighting and i think uh i i think tyson fury because of if it, i understand that, that it gives him this mental edge and, and he has these quirks about him that makes him you know great inside the ring but if you don't step it up outside the ring his career is probably going to be short because we've seen that with you know uh ricky hatton where ricky hatton if he was more dedicated outside the ring i think his career would have been a, a little longer given the style he fought in so but i wish him a speedy recovery i think that tyson fury i think this is a convenient excuse in order to postpone the fight i think the lopez um coronavirus you know uh setback was another convenient excuse if you look because if you just look beneath the surface you'll see in a lopez case that the fight just wasn't going to sell nobody was buying tickets to the fight so let's go ahead and push this fight back and let's see if we can uh, promote it better to get more interest and i think in this situation i don't think fury wanted to face wilder you know and then i also think that fury has to have like mentally he has to know that he's in the best situation possible to be victorious and so I don't think that he feels that way going into this fight. One, I don't know if he's motivated because if he was motivated, they wouldn't have put so many obstacles up in the first place in order to not face Wilder. If Wilder was that easy, then and you can make all of that money. Why not just go ahead and get the man out of the way? And so the fact that he had to fight so hard in order to get the fight and they didn't want the fight, that shows me for whatever reason, you know, Whatever happened going into the other fight, what if he possibly has some advantages in that fight? I don't know. But I do know that Wilder is training very hard. I know that Wilder is very serious for this fight. And when you listen to Wilder, he sounds like he's very prepared for this fight. And I don't know if that's the same thing on the other side. So this, that's a convenient excuse is to say that you have COVID or whatever, because who can say that you don't, right? You can just say that you have the symptoms. And that will suffice. So I think that that's what, what's going on here. And, you know, they were saying that Fury, well, this fight, I'm going to come in at 300 pounds and blah, 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 this and that. I don't think you would be coming in at 300 pounds intentionally. Maybe you're just not motivated to get down where you need to be in order to be prepared for the fight. So I think that they're trying to push this thing back. And then by them also pushing this back, that's going to impact Wilder adversely because he's ready and prepped to fight right now. They probably already knew that they weren't going to fight, so they kind of lessened the things that they were doing in the camp. And so it's just going to benefit him if they can push this thing out a little bit further. That's how I look at it. Now, if that's incorrect, if he does have coronavirus, um, hopefully, you know, he recovers and that he's 100% going into the fight. But you know, I just think it's a convenient excuse. So next week on the undercard of the historic light middleweight fight between Charlo and Brian Castano, we have uh, a, a fight at, at lightweight, 
which against Rolando Romero versus Austin uh, Delay. Uh, what do you guys think of this fight? Okay, you got uh, Rolando Raleigh Romero, who's 25 years old. He's 13 0, 11 KOs, 5'8, 68-inch reach against Austin Delay. Austin is 14-2 with 10 KOs. He's also 25 years old, fights out of the southpaw stands. A little bit taller than Raleigh, 5'10, but he has a slightly uh, shorter reach at 67 inches. Romero last fought against Avery, uh, Avery Sparrow, um, a.k.a. Morris Day from the time. You know, not the young Morris Day. I'm talking about the older Morris Day, a little pudgy in the middle. Um, but he took him out. I want to say it's like the third or fourth round. Um, he took the, his opponent out. Um, Raleigh is an aggressive fighter. You know, he has power. You know, I would say in both hands, but outside of that, that's pretty much it. You know what I mean? I don't want to talk down on the brother, but he has a lot more confidence than the skill that he's shown so far. Um, Delay, he has losses to Col Chris Colbert. You know, it's a pretty good fight. Colbert just too quick, a little too many tricks, and he actually stopped him on uh, the corner, stopped the fight. He also has a loss against uh, Magdaleno, uh, which was a 10-round or 12-round decision. Um, a competitive fight, but Magdaleno, um, he won by at least three or four rounds. I think that he's learned a lot, you know, uh, since those two losses. He's pretty skilled, um, and he's coming off a victory against uh, Jose uh, Galagos uh, recently. Now, um, Romero, he fights in the uh, – like he's a Mayweather fighter. You see him in a Mayweather gym, you know, and I think they say Floyd discovered him. And I think, you know, based on what I've seen so far, I think they're probably grooming him, you know, with his record, with his flamboyant nature about him. You know, I think he can be a good ticket seller if he continues to win. Um, but that's still kind of questionable to me whether or not he's going to be victorious once he steps up the level of his competition. I think he's stepping up the level of his competition in this fight. Um, only thing that I'm concerned with as far as Delay is concerned is that he fights with both hands down. But he's I look at this fight where he's more skilled to me overall than um, Romero. And actually, when I look at both guys, I'm picking a, what would be considered an upset. I don't think it's an upset. But I think that Delay, unless he gets caught by some of those wild winging shots that Romero throws, I think that he'll be able to get inside of uh, Raleigh, and I think that he's going to uh, put Raleigh to sleep. So that's my bold prediction for this one. You guys have anything on this matchup? I just can't. I just can't wait to see Romero get slept. That's all. <laughs> you typically don't say that about fighters because you know they put their life on the line. But Raleigh is one of those guys. <laughs> he's just. If you haven't seen, just check out some of his interviews. Like I say, he's so braggadocious and his fighting style. You know what I mean? He just appears like if you just look at him and listen to him you'll think that he is like the top pound for pound fighter in the world but um he definitely doesn't uh, his skills definitely doesn't match anything else you guys have before we wrap things up no sir i appreciate it man it was good talking to you fellas and talking boxing you know i love you know talking and stuff man you know when we don't record i find a way to go ahead and talk about some boxing um somehow some way whether it's on youtube whether it's just calling somebody whether it's texting you fellas so um appreciate you and you know everything that you do as far as the research and stuff that's involved with this and um 
yeah, that's pretty much it. You know, look forward to the fights next week. You all listening to this. Uh, you all have a great weekend, and we look forward to talking to you and speaking boxing next week. Peace. Peace. Peace.